0: All right, welcome to the first edition of the Third Down Conversion Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Kahn. Yes, it is a play on my name. With me for the very first episode is a close friend of mine, Joey Ikes. Joey, how are we? Uh, how are we doing during social distancing?
1: Man, we are uh, we are self quarantining uh, with our with my my four kids and my my circus, as I call it. We uh, we are keeping it under the big top
0: this week well last time that you were locked in for a period of time another baby came so uh is there a, is there a fifth on the way there there will not no okay okay i, I didn't know yeah, if Sierra no, could handle that uh, yeah no we are
1: uh we are out of that phase of our life uh, for sure <laughs> for sure i got you
0: all right oh, so yeah. <laughs> Let's uh I kicked this off. I wanted to ask you this question. I asked it on Twitter today and I've got some funny responses, but how much money would you pay for an NCAA football game right now to play? Man, rates are pretty low right now. I might take a second mortgage out of my house to be honest to have a <laughs> NCAA game to play. It's, um it's, it's Matt Miller said right he now. Matt Miller said he'd pay five grand. Yeah, like it would be uh
1: there would be a ridiculous amount of money thrown. At EA Sports and uh, Frostbite and all those
0: companies that put those games together, I you know what? It doesn't even have, have to be EA right It not have to be EA Sports. Two K. What do you got, man? Just give me a. Oh man, that would be go amazing. Go. That that would
1: uh, probably even be better than
0: what EA would put out. Yeah, probably. All right. So, as everybody knows, we're big Cowboys guys, analysts. We're you know we're dug in, as we like to say. And so, the topic of team building, because you know, with all this time that we have in our hands, we we probably talk more Cowboys football now than we have in the past. And when you look at the team building, and I know this is something that you talk about a lot, are you surprised with any moves that have been made over the last week? Well, I think the, the wording that you use there is interesting because I don't
1: know that I would say that I'm surprised necessarily. Um, I do think that uh, that there are some things that, you know, I, I would have done differently if I was the guy signing the checks, you know, but, uh, but surprised by the way that they have conducted their business, not really, because it's uh, pretty consistent with the way they've conducted their business over the last, you know, seven, eight years or so. Um, and uh, it's, like I said, it's not surprising necessarily as much as sometimes it can be frustrating or disappointing or, or things like that when we feel like they may not be maximizing their opportunities. But, uh, but like I said, they're the ones signing the checks,
0: not me. So it uh,
1: doesn't really matter what I think they ought to do. What matters is what we should
0: expect them to do. Well, yes, but I think it was surprising to me that they were signing people during the first week of free agency. That, that took, I wasn't expecting that because normally their second and third wave guys were maybe they're still picking up the second third waves guys they're just not waiting to do it
1: yeah and the funny thing is is that actually if you look back like they signed Terrell McClain i think it was in 2014 on like the first day of free like the first day of the legal tampering period in 2014 they were, if i the first day they could sign people in 2014 they signed Terrell McClain everybody looked around like who the heck is this like you got you got Henry Melton out running around out here and a bunch of other guys and they're signing Terrell McLean to a two or three year contract uh, on the, like a couple of hours after free agency opens. So uh, it's one one of those things that the whole waves concept is is funny and interesting to me because for the most part, the market is the market for each one of these players and the agents understand what the market is and the teams understand what the market is. And so it doesn't matter. If you go to CJ Goodwin, for example, um, he knows he's going to get a contract right around or a little over the veteran minimum you could sign him the day that free agency opens or you could wait a month to sign him and the amount you sign him for doesn't change at all so, so like there's there are some situations where the waves thing is interesting to me and I don't necessarily think it really actually follows what happens especially with this tampering period that they have now where you'll hear some people say free agency hasn't even started yet because the league year hasn't opened but you got sixty percent of the of the free agents that are going to sign signed within forty eight hours <laughs> before the league year even even starts. These right. guys are are committed to new deals and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yes and no. It's surprising that they. I think the part about it that's a little surprising is the fact that they signed guys with some some name equity to them. They signed mm-hmm. a Gerald McCoy. They signed a Ha Ha Clinton Dix. Even though those guys. A, the contracts fit very well in terms of what the typical Cowboys free agent contract looks like. Um, but because those guys carry some name values and some Pro Bowls in their past and things like that, it seems surprising, even though it might not really actually be.
0: Yeah, you have to look at it. And I think both signings were upgrades, right? I mean, usually when you look at the way they do it, the bargain bin shopping, as some people will call it, that they're not – Things that really get you excited, and maybe these signings won't get you super excited, but you have to think that a ha, ha Clinton Dix is definitely an upgrade over Jeff Heath, and then you have to think that Gerald McCoy, in my opinion, is an upgrade over Malik Collins.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that McCoy is definitely an upgrade in the interior of the defense for sure. I don't think that he's he's not enough at this point in his career to be the linchpin of the interior of your defense. Like so, to me, it's kind of like. Like the Rams had Aaron Donald already, and they added Ndamukong Sue. Like Ndamukong Sue is not the guy at this point in his career that you can count on to come in and be the number one disruptor that you have on your defensive line and be the guy every single week in, week out to make the plays that changes the game. Uh, But there will be a game or two that he will dominate completely because of all the attention that's given to his teammates. So I think that you, you almost have to think about Gerald McCoy in a similar way and that he can't be the linchpin guy that that the whole interior of your defense is built around, but if he's got talent on the interior around him and has some edge talent around him as well, he's a guy who can cause problems because he's still good enough to not be handled one-on-one by some of these really bad guards that are playing in the league, um, and so he can cause problems in those situations. But if he's your guy, he's not the same guy he was six, seven, eight years ago when he was that guy.
0: Yeah, and I think they still need to handle the spot next to him. Absolutely. And, and I know we've been making jokes about the Cowboys after dark, as uh, John Williams is now calling it. So are we Are we having snack night on Friday night? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, is that what we're hoping. I,
1: I, I, I joked it on Twitter that tonight seems like a
0: good night for some late-night snacks, but
1: um... – my wife didn't appreciate that pun all that much, but my uh, my Twitter followers gave me the validation I was
0: looking for with that one. So uh, uh, I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean it's a, it is a good night for snacks. I would say that. Uh, Everson Griffin. Is another name.
1: Yeah, I, I, the the thing about this year on the defensive line is that the free agency class is just insanely, insanely deep. Like we we've seen all these guys sign, and I'll be honest, I haven't, I I don't keep up with the minutiae every minute of who signs who signs where and everything. But I believe like Indama and Sue's still out there. Snacks is still out there. Obviously, Everson Griffin is still out there. Um, Ziggy Ansa, Jadavian Clowney, like there's just ton, Michael Bennett still out there. If he still wants to play football, uh, I mean, there's just tons of guys out there that can play on the defensive line that. Are like I mentioned earlier, can't be the guy on your defensive line. But like, if you sign, if you have McCoy and you add Snacks and you, and Randy Gregory comes back and you draft a defensive interior player or you get a Tristan Hill development or you uh, draft an edge guy or something like that. Now you're like six guys deep of guys that can play, Um, which is which is pretty darn good in the league to really have six guys that can play. So and that to go from what they looked like, you know, seventy two hours ago on the defensive line to to that would be significant and would be a great step to take to to really solidify yourself going into the year. I'm a big believer in the I I, I coined the mercenaries, right? The all these veteran guys that have been around the league that really just wanna get into a spot where they can compete for a championship. And if you collect three, four, five of those guys in a season, you've got a chance to have a really good season because they're gonna give you a few of those games where they play back to where they were in in the earlier part of their career. And that one one performance from that guy might be enough to win you that particular game. If you get enough of those guys that can do that with your young core of talent, you're going to be in a great
0: spot. So if you were to make the move here, would you – and I know one name that's being linked is Emmanuel Sanders. And I know me and you kind of talked about it before – where I'm of the camp that I say go ahead and sign him cuz I'm team 40 burgers. But I know you're kind of on the other end of that spectrum, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one because I I don't I think that the Randall Cobb contract, the contract that got Randall Cobb out of Dallas might be the contract that keeps Emmanuel Sanders out of Dallas too. Because Emmanuel Sanders probably sees himself as a significantly better player than Randall Cobb at this point in their career, which may or may not be true, it probably is. Um, and so he's going to now expect to get the contract in the same range or better. And uh, the Cowboys aren't gonna pay that, like we just know. Like I think it was uh, Connor uh, who said, uh, who figured out that the the Cowboys cap for, uh, for outside players is uh, $6 million in either base salary or signing bonus. Uh, that's not tied to some sort of option or or uh, per-game roster bonus or something like that. And I I think the last person that they signed for more than $6 million a year um, that's not tied to something like that was Brandon Carr in 2012. So, like, like they they immediately lowered uh, Robert Quinn's salary last year to $6 million and tied the rest to, to incentives. Uh, Greg Hardy's base salary was like $750,000 the year that they signed him. Everything else was tied to roster bonuses, like it's just their cap. And so, for Randall Cobb to sign for nine million dollars a year uh, as an outside free agent to Houston, for them to, ex- for us to expect Emmanuel Sanders to sign for, you know, two for twelve or <laughs> or six, three for yeah. eighteen or something like that, uh, is uh, is probably unlikely, um, given the fact that that he probably views himself as as a better player than that.
0: And you also have to look at the fact that when you look at the NFL draft and and the way that this is kind of setting up to be is Dallas is really setting themselves up for BPA because they're – we knew that there were holes at cornerback, and I know they didn't make any sexy signings. You can talk about Kennedy. You can talk about ha-ha Clinton Dix bringing Anthony Brown back to go with Jordan Lewis and Chidobe. Uh, You have Xavier Woods for another season, so on the secondary side, it looks a lot better than it did, like you said, 72 hours ago. Linebacker, you brought back March, Uh, you brought back Joe Thomas, the whole band, everybody. (laughs) Sean Lee is back, and then so really, right now, it kind of feels like the one technique defensive tackle and an edge rusher is where the questions are, and you could say Andy, you know, Randy Gregory. And then on the offensive side of the ball, we've Blake Jarwin. He's been re-signed. You have your wide receiver, your big time wide receiver and Amari Cooper signed. So it kind of feels like they've now kind of filled those holes. Whereas when they go into the draft, they're not pigeonholed going, we got to find us a corner with pick 17.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, so, so you you mentioned BPA. I, I'm a, part, a big part of my brand, hashtag brand, is that BPA is a myth, right? Isn't that every, yeah. team factor, every team factors need, every team factors injury history and character concern and all of that kind of stuff into the grades that they put on the board and how they stack their players. So, it's – or, or I, I say that they should factor that into how they stack their players. And if they want to take the highest person on the board – then that's the purest way to do it is to incorporate need and positional value and character concern and medical and all that kind of stuff into your grade and just take the highest grade. Um, A lot of times when we hear take the best player, we're talking about take the guy who looks the best on the film, right? Which is like one part of a massive picture that gets painted um, about what these guys look like in terms of prospects and, uh, and where their value lies and all that. Uh, and we can talk about the uh, the potential impacts of of what this uh, the the virus and the the quarantine and and all this kind of stuff that we're we're going through right now and how that affects how the NFL teams do business, both in free agency and in the draft and everything. But um, but ultimately, uh, yes, the idea is that you want to position yourself to take the best per the person who fits the best when you come up right you don't want to wind up like the worst case scenario is that you're the houston texans just in general at this point but that you're the houston texans in the first round of the draft last year where everybody and their mom knows you're going to take an offensive tackle whenever you get to your spot in the draft and somebody hops right in front of you and takes the guy who's clearly the best tackle in the draft um and they hop in front of you and take that guy and you're left having to take a much much lesser player um than the guy you wanted to take and then a lot of the other guys that are on the board just because you gotta get a guy that plays that spot because you don't have anybody, right? And so that's mm-hmm. why that's why it was important to either sign Anthony Brown or make a run at Desmond Truffaut or something like that. Because you you needed to fill that corner spot so that if CJ Henderson is falling down the draft for you, um, somebody doesn't hop up to pick fifteen or sixteen and take him right in front of you because they know that's exactly where you're going. Uh, and it's the same or so that Atlanta doesn't jump in front of you and pull a Pat McKinley and take your guy right out from underneath you and leave you to take taco Charlton. So, um, so yes, you want to be able to position yourself to take advantage of the draft, uh, whether it's called BPA or, or whatever you want to call it, whatever the lingo is. Um, uh, that's a, that's a different conversation, but yeah, you, you can't go into the draft needing a starter level player at any position. You've got to at least have, a replacement level starter at every position on the team. And then you backfill, you, you want to then upgrade that guy in the draft, make that guy who's the replacement level starter now the above average backup instead of the replacement level starter because you upgraded from him at the draft. Uh, and so the, the the funny thing is the group of guys who are going to be available at, at pick 17 are going to be the same group of guys that would be available if you needed a cornerback or if you needed a defensive end, or if you needed a safety, right? Um, but now you can really go in and you can say, okay, which one of these guys makes the biggest impact on my team in year one and in future years and uh, and really make the best picks at that
0: point instead of being pitchful for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I But when you look at that, I think cornerback or wide receiver is probably going to be the one that makes the biggest impact. However, wide receiver is not, something that I just don't feel like the top guys, the top three are going to be there at 17. Whether you want to talk about Judy, CD Lamb, Henry Ruggs, I don't think they're going to be there. So you can, I kind of like take them out of the conversation. I think it ends up being somebody on defense. Maybe a uh, Javon Kenlaw will fall to you. And so, but I think you're right on a lot of that. So my next kind of question I have here in regards to, who they've signed, which signing were you the most excited about? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be Gerald McCoy because
1: it signals a difference in approach from from the prior administration to, to this regime in terms of head coach and all that kind of stuff in that um, the Cowboys were pretty much not interested in Gerald McCoy whenever he was released from uh, from Tampa Bay last year. Part of that is because of the money, obviously, Uh, but part of that is just they they didn't indicate any interest in him uh, when he became available, uh, even though, frankly, they should have. And and so the fact that they went out and early in free agency addressed that position, uh, like I said, with a guy who for the next one to two years, which is really what all these contracts are, um, for the next one to two years, can be a guy who, if he has one or two games during the season where he is just a dominant force and a dominant presence in the interior, and for the rest of the season can just be a consistent guy who takes up blocks, lets the linebackers run, um, and lets the edge guys uh, get uh, get less double teams like than they had last year, um, then that's a, a, a huge step in the right direction for your defensive line. Um, and as long as they keep addressing the position, uh, then, then it signals uh, a really positive step in terms of in terms of where they're going.
0: Yeah, I think when you look at that signing and the uh, Clinton Dick signing, it kind of signified, hey, the Cowboys are taking a different approach. Because as we've known for the last several years, it seems like defensive tackle and safety have been a, the most ignored position. Um, and I know you could bring up, well, they drafted Kayvon Frazier, they drafted uh, Wilson, or the kid out of A and M, Donovan Wilson. Yeah, yeah, Donovan Wilson. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so they, you know, drafted those guys. And while I think Wilson to be a can be a good contributor to the team, I'm not ready to say that he's ready to step up and be a starter yet. I mean, he hasn't really played that much. Yeah, that's uh,
1: the that's the rough thing about about guys who don't play in year one. Like ideal, this is why another part of my brand is that you have you want to pick players that can play year one. Like this is the hard thing about the way the Cowboys approached the draft last year, is Tristan Hill was a guy who was always a project. Connor McGovern was a guy who was hurt, and with all the depth they had on the offensive line, he was likely a a, a second-year guy, too. And, you know, you go through all of their picks last year, and it was almost all of them was, yeah, they're not necessarily picks for 2019 because we've got a lot of depth here and a lot of great guys here, but in 2020 and beyond, these guys are going to be guys we're going to be able to count on. And now here we are in 2020, we have no idea. Uh, and there's a new staff in place, so they have no idea either <laughs> and so uh so there that's the tough thing about when you draft guys with with the future in mind uh is that if they don't get an opportunity to show, then you have you have no way to know and if you go again, if you go into the season counting on that particular guy, if it doesn't work out, then you wind up with one of those like a quasi elusuance situation where you plug a guy in as a starter and he winds up being terrible because he didn't get an opportunity to play as a rookie. And you just assumed he was going to step up and be a starter. And now you have this massive hole on your defense, which you just can't afford to have.
0: Yeah. 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 And it sounds like we're going to have a lot of conversations about all of these types of players. And it's, you know, curious to see how it plays out. Seeing as how, like we've talked about, there's a new staff in place and, and maybe the guys that are already here don't really fit what the Cowboys are trying to do. How are they going to fit the system or how are, how are the, How is Mike McCarthy's team going to build a system that fits these players? It seems like he's more in that line rather than trying to jam a square peg in a round hole and say, this is my system, learn to play in it. You know, We'll have a lot of conversations, but Joey, I want to thank you for hopping on. If you want to check out Joey on Twitter, at Joey Ikes, he's very active and always ready to talk some football, and he'll probably argue with you too. Just a little bit. I don't argue as much as I used to. You know, you you get settled down in our old age here. I had some four kids. You you lost the energy. Exactly. All right, Joe. I appreciate you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, Pat. No problem. Thanks so much.